Good morning. My name is Andrew. Uh, if you're new, I serve here as uh, one of the pastors at the church. Uh, and as Jared said, we're going to be jumping into uh, week two of our Life with God series. And so what I want to do is I want to pray really quick, uh, and then we're going to jump right in uh, to our second week. So let me pray. Father, we're grateful um, that as Gabe said, you have spoken to us, that you have given us your word. Now I know uh, for all of us here this morning, we need to know uh, truth and we want to hear from you. God, whether our hearts are uh, hardened or apathetic or sleepy this morning, God, would you wake us up? Would you uh, help us to see you and your truth for what it is, God? Would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to your word that none of this would simply be for knowledge, um, but God, that we would be here to be drawn into worship. God, would your spirit do this in us, help us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I ran across an article uh, that was talking about how uh, there were a number of people that were trying to put some resources uh, towards seeing if they could come up with something to prevent death. Right? So now I'll just admit right away I heard this and I was a little bit skeptical. Uh, I, was, I thought it might be a little ridiculous, but I was reading through this and uh, the, the article was talking about how Mark Zuckerberg was ready to put three billion dollars towards death prevention. Like he was going to put this money towards figuring this out. So I think the the co-founder of PayPal was in on this and there's tons of medical researchers and doctors that have been doing studies to try and figure out is there a way that we can cure death. Now the reason that it seemed kind of ridiculous to me as I uh, went through this is because uh, while I don't think there's a ton in this world that is just absolute and certain um, death is one of those things, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know uh, what tomorrow's going to bring. Like, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't know where I'm, like, I don't know if I'm going to continue living where I live. I don't know for sure uh, that the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl, even if I'm confident. I still don't know that because there's not much in this life where we are just confident and certain this is coming. But death is one of those things. Right? Death is one of those things that as we look at the, the track record of history, uh, we know that our odds are not good to beat death. Like it, it, It's gotten to all of us. It's a final plague and a final uh, uh, spot for all of us that we reach. And so I think when we, when we are faced with this reality, so as I'm putting this, I know fairly bleakly, as I'm putting this before us to say, this morning I want us to think about death, I think that often we, we can have one of two responses. You know, I think the first one is if, if you're to think about your life and how you kind of think about death, uh, the first one, I think kind of our response and how we live is simply to just deny that that's inevitable, Right, like we may not say that, like we know that we're going to die, but we just try to not think about it. We try to just put it off. We kind of think, I'm invincible, I can do whatever, because we kind of deny death. Now, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, but in, in 1973, there was a guy named Ernest Becker, and uh, he wrote this book. It was a Pulitzer Prize winning book, and it was called The Denial of Death. And this was his, he summarizes his whole book, the whole thesis this way. Uh, there's a quote, it should be on the screens. He says, The main thesis of this book is that the fear of death haunts the human animal like nothing else. It's a mainspring of human activity. Activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death. To overcome it by denying in some way that it is the final destiny 
for man. So I think Becker, I think pretty insightful, says, look, the, the reality of death is fearful for us. Like we, we're afraid of what it is to die. And so most of us just deny that that's coming. Right? We, we know that it's coming, but we just don't like to think about it. We don't like to, to, especially in our culture, I think we don't like to see death. We don't like to feel the effects of death. Anything that's about that, we try to just deny it. And because of that, I think it leads to a, a second kind of response that uh, maybe is, is, is more subconscious even than that. Um, but when we do think about it, I, I don't think that many of us try to throw billions of dollars towards preventing it because we can't, but uh, I think that we still have tendencies in our lives to prevent death, right? So if you were to think about death and, and kind of all that that encompasses, so, so think about, you know, suffering and illnesses, diseases, and, and all of this that kind of is signs and tastes of death, I think a lot of us live our lives in ways to prevent that, to prolong the life that we have and to push death off as long as we can. So consider for a moment, that this might be why some of us have yet to taste the, the sweet, sweet taste of Bob's Donuts on a Sunday morning. Why? Because it's unhealthy for us, okay? We get that. We know that it's unhealthy. And so what we do is we say, man, so that I can live this kind of happy, healthy lifestyle, that I can live as long as possible, I'm going to choose to not eat certain things, Right? I'm not going to do certain things so that I can experience life, so that I can prolong um, my life and I can prevent death and sickness and illness. And so we're choosing life and we're trying to push death off. Or, or think about this is why uh, so many of us will spend hours uh, exercising, working out, joining gyms. Why? Because we, we think, man, if I can keep my body physically healthy, this will prolong life. It'll prevent uh, different uh, illnesses or things that could go wrong in me if I'm not being active. And so we spend hours being active. We're preventing death and its uh, symptoms. I think this is also why many of us will avoid uh, like dangerous situations in our life, right? We avoid dangerous things that are just kind of asking for our mortality to come close. Right? This is why many of us would say no to uh, jumping off cliffs, because we don't want to just beg that death is near to us, right? It's why many of us, uh, we don't do things like drive 150 miles an hour down the interstate, right? We don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to be in dangerous situations. This is why uh, I rarely will bring up that Nebraska started 0-2. Because that's just asking for death in this place, right? I mean, it's like a little bit brutal. But the reality is we, we try to stay away from some dangerous situations. Why? Because we want to continue living. Right? So we're preventing and we're, prolonging, we're preventing death and prolonging life. So the reality is we can go ahead and we can eat kale and tree bark or whatever it is. And you can throw tires around at CrossFit and you can try to avoid dangerous situations. And you can throw billions of dollars into research. Yet, here we are. Death is still coming. Right? We still have no ultimate cure. We can deny it or we can prevent it for a little while. But death is still coming. And so the question then this morning that I want to look at is that if, if our attempts are going to prove futile, if we can prolong life for a little bit but we still have death, if we can deny it but we still know it's coming, then the question is can anyone cure death? Is there ever a true and ultimate cure for the one ultimate plague that hits us all? And I believe that ultimately the answer is 
Yes, there is a cure for death. But it's not coming in the form of you and I trying to hold it off as long as possible. I think the only cure for death has to come from the only author of life. The only way to to get rid of death is to come from the author of life, which is God himself. And I believe this morning we're going to see that God has made a cure for death. The one ultimate plague that we face, there's a cure for. And so that's what we're going to see in Ephesians 2. So if you've got a Bible, go Ephesians 2. We should have the verses on the screen as we go. But what I want us to do is I want us to see kind of three things that the, the author of Ephesians, Paul, uh, that he talks about here. And how he wants us to think through death and life. And so, so first, he's going to tell us that we have to recognize that we are dead in sin. So we've got to recognize the fact that we are dead in sin. But then he's going to show us how we can be made alive in Christ And then finally, I want us to see then what life with God looks like. So we have to recognize that we're dead in sin. We'll see how God makes us alive in Christ. And then we'll examine life with God. So let's start. If you got your Bibles open or you can look towards the screen, uh, we'll start in Ephesians 2. uh, And we'll read the first three verses. And what we're going to see is the reality of death in our world. So look at verses 1 through 3. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." So as you read that, I think that there's something kind of interesting that we can note about how Paul talks about death. You know, when we think of death, I think we think of kind of how I was explaining it before, like a physical death where you cease to exist or you cease to breathe any longer. But did you notice how Paul kind of talks about it? Look at verse 1. He says, you were, so this is past tense, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So he's saying, look, you were dead. Yet, he doesn't talk about us like we're just lifeless, like we're not doing anything. Because look, he says, you were dead and you were walking. He says, and this is how you walked. In verse 3, he says that we all once lived. And so it's this weird kind of like zombie-esque type thing where it's like the dead are still walking around. We're still living, we're still moving, things are still happening. So how does this make sense? Because when we think of death, if we think lifeless, this is obviously not how Paul is talking about it. So I think there's, um, I think biblically that there's multiple layers to death. I think the Bible actually talks about three different uh, types of death. And let me just go through these quick. The first one um, is what I would call the Bible talking about a spiritual death. This is what I think Paul's going to be talking about here. But in a spiritual death goes all the way back to Genesis 3. If you were here last week, you might remember uh, we looked at this when God said, uh, you can do anything you want to Adam and Eve. He said, you can do all that you want, but don't eat of this one tree. He said, if you do that, you will die. Well, in Genesis 3, we see they go, they eat the fruit from the tree, and you know what happens? They don't fall over dead. Right? God said, you're going to die, yet they continued to move. They continued to live. They continued to walk around. And that's because I think the first initial stage of death is this spiritual death. 
And what we talked about last week is that this spiritual death is, is really this separation from life with God. That if God is the author of life, if he is the one that gives life, when we sin, when we rebel from him, we then walk in death. It's a spiritual kind of soul level death that we face where we're not experiencing full, satisfying life. That leads to the second one. And I think the second death is, is a physical death. This is what we usually think about. So because we uh, have spiritually died, the punishment for that is now we have a physical death. Right? So all of us are enslaved to this. This is what comes to all of us. And then the Bible mentions a third one, and it's called this eternal death. So how this all works is that because you and I, because all people have sinned from God, we've been separated from God. And because of that, in our mortal bodies now, we face a coming physical death. And when we do, the Bible says that the punishment for those sins is this eternal death. None of that is ceasing to exist fully. We continue on, but we face this punishment and the wrath of God for eternity. This is how the Bible sets up death. So, what I want to do, if that's true, what does that look like for us today? When Paul says that you were dead, but you're walking around What does death look like for us? So uh, notice again the verses here. Um, I want us to see verses 2 and 3. So he said, you were dead, but he said you were walking. Now where were you walking? How were you walking? He says, you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's saying, hey, you're walking in all the things of the world, like you're trying to find life because you're spiritually dead and you want something in your soul. You're trying to find it in the world. But then he goes on. He's saying, you are living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. So I love that he said, he says, look, we're all in the same boat here. We all face spiritual death. And what we naturally do is we try to then find life. And so we walk around and we try to figure it out in the world and we try to find things in the world that will bring life. Or we try to find things in ourselves, the passions and the desires that we have. We say, man, if I could just live those out, then I might be satisfied. I might find life. I think this is natural to us and this is a, a reality that our culture is really buying into. That you can have life once you just experience more things or once you just live out all of your desires, then maybe you'll be satisfied. I think honestly this is why so many people, many of us included in the room, why, why most people search for some sort of faith or spirituality. Right? Very few people who have absolutely no interest in spirituality. Most people have some sort of faith or spirituality because I think there's something inside of us that knows and is longing for something other than ourselves, something transcendent. I think it's why historically, you know, if you were to look at all the cultures and societies, all the tribes of all the times, most of them, almost all of them, believed in some sort of God or higher power or deity. The the kind of uh, atheistic culture is actually relatively new. Almost every other culture historically has believed in, in something outside of themselves because I think there's something inside of ourselves that knows that, that's longing for that. I think it's why many of us will kind of devour self-help books where we want to get better at things because there's something in us that knows that there's something lacking. There's something that should be better, something that could be different. I think it's why many of us long for the things of this world to give us joy and life 
and satisfaction because at the core, we know that we haven't found that yet. I don't know if, you, if you've ever felt this. Or maybe you walked into church this morning because you kind of feel this. The sense of, man, there, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something to I know there's got to be a power or a God or something because inside of me I can sense death. I can sense that I'm not experiencing life to the fullest. You know, uh, for me, when I was growing up, I, I've said this before, I've had some exposure to the church, but I wasn't a, a Christian growing up. And so um, I remember uh, that, that kind of nagging feeling inside. You know, when I, when I was growing up, I, I wrestled with depression. I wrestled with loneliness at times. I struggled with some of this stuff. And deep inside of me, I knew that there was something more that I didn't have. I had no idea what it was. Like, I literally couldn't tell you what it was. I just knew inside that there's something that I'm not experiencing that I could experience. And so what, what I did was I said, okay, man, I, what I need to do is just find that life and that satisfaction in things that I can see. And so I chased down, you know, uh, academic uh, success. And I thought, man, maybe if I just get really smart or I get great grades or I get into a great school, then, then I'll kind of be satisfied and I'll find that. Or, or then I turned to sports, right? And I, I said, man, if I could just find this on a baseball diamond, like if I could excel, maybe that would satisfy, right? Found this in money. I thought, man, dude, if I could just become rich one day, right? I wouldn't need anything else. Like I can just create stuff and I could uh, be wealthy and that would finally kind of satisfy me, right? Look to people. And I thought, man, if only people kind of thought highly of me, my ego would kind of be stroked a little bit and I would feel okay. I wouldn't feel this kind of loss inside. And so I, so I went around and I was grabbing at everything. And I got to tell you, there were some of those things that I did grab. Uh, never wealth, I never got to that point. But some of the other things, I did grab. Like, I, I got a hold of some of this stuff, and I have to tell you, when I, when I grabbed them, when I achieved them, I could tell that this was not what my soul was longing for. Like, have you ever got to something, like you finally reached a goal, and you realize, man, this kind of feels good, but in a sense, this isn't like all satisfying. Like, now there's either a new goal, or I realize, man, this wasn't the mountaintop that I wanted to climb. There's something else missing. I think what Paul's saying is that that's a sign that the, that the dead are trying to find life in other things that don't provide life. But I do want to acknowledge that there might be some in the room um, who maybe you don't feel that sense of death. Maybe you don't know uh, what you're missing. You know, if I, as I'm looking back on my life in those, in those seasons, uh, when I was grabbing certain things, I didn't even fully recognize, I wasn't fully aware um, of death at all times because I, I didn't really know what life tasted like. like you know what I mean? Like when, you, when you've never experienced full life, you don't always even recognize what you are missing out on. I, I don't know if you guys, if anybody watches Parks and Rec, I'm, I'm going to give a dumb example here, but... Um, there's a character in the show Parks and Rec, his name's Chris Traeger, and he's like a ultra like health nut, like way beyond what I usually make fun of on stage. Like he's like extreme health nut. And there's this point where he's at a party and he, he eats something uh, because he thinks that it's like non-fat and no sugar and whatever else that he always eats. And so he eats it and he's like, oh man, this is so good. I can't believe that this doesn't have uh, fat and sugar. And the, his friend next to him, Ben, was like, Man, don't freak out, but that's like loaded with fat and sugar. And so he kind of freaks out a little bit, but then he made this comment. He says, you know, I don't know if people realize this, but, but things with fat and sugar actually taste a lot better. And Ben's like, well, duh. Like everybody knows that. If you've tasted sugar, like you know that it's better than kale chips. Like it just is. That's just the reality. And so it just tastes good, right? 
But because he's never actually tasted that, he never really knew exactly what he was missing. He thought that, you know, the stuff that he was eating was the pinnacle of taste and what he could get. He was completely missing something separate. Now, for us, I think some of us are acutely aware of kind of the death and the loneliness or or the longing we have. I think others of us are going through life just completely unaware that there's a sweetness of life that's out there. There's something else that's out there that's even better than you can imagine. And that's what I think we see Paul get to in this passage when he talks about life. That it's not just a a subtle change. It's not just a little bit better version of what you're doing. But he said it's this whole new glorious thing. So, So look with me at the next few verses when Paul moves from talking about death into what life looks like when God makes us alive in Christ. Look at verses 4 through 7. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice, if you're here this morning and you can acknowledge um, the, the death that we face in our sins, I want you to notice that Paul here says nothing for you to do in being made alive. Nothing. There, there's nothing that you have to do. There's no amount of healthy living that will fix the problem of death. None. Like There's no amount of church services that you can simply attend to fix the issue of death. There's no amount of money that you can donate to good causes to fix the problem of death. There's no amount of avoiding God that you can do to ultimately prevent death. There's no amount of numbing that you can do with substances or things of this world to ultimately get rid of death. We can self-medicate with a number of these things and death is still our reality. The spiritually dead cannot bring themselves to life. But Paul says here, the good news is that God can and that God does. You know, we looked at this, that Christianity is really very simple at its core. It's God bringing the dead to life. That's what God does. That's that's who he is. He comes and he brings the dead to life. He works in the world. He moves in the world by going around to those who are dead and walking in death and opening their eyes to newness of life. He satisfies that longing, soul-level desire of the walking dead. He fills it and he wakes us up to life. And I, and I want you to, not to miss how he does this. Like, if you might have caught a theme through these verses at how God brings us to life, and he does this with what we talked about last week. He unifies you with Jesus. In some way, life is when you are with Jesus. Look at this again. Look at these verses. Uh, Verse 5, he says that you were made alive together with Christ. Verse 6 says you were raised with Christ. You were seated with Christ. You're in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 7 says that that we reveal God's grace and kindness in Christ. So Paul's like beating you over the head, saying, look, all of this happens when you are in Christ. We said this last week, the way to life is simply the presence of God. And that all of that is possible through 
Christ. And so, um, here's what I want to do. I, I want to make this somewhat uh, kind of practical with how, what this looks like. Right? Like, what does that mean to actually be in Christ? What does that mean for us today? How does that change us from being dead to alive? I, I want to give you a few examples. So maybe just for a few moments, just, just kind of imagine these truths being true for you. That if you're in Jesus, th- this is all true of you. Because the Bible says that everything Christ has done, everything Christ has earned, everything that Christ has, the Bible says is, is yours if you're in Christ. Think about that, that everything Christ has is yours if you're in him. Let me give you a few examples. The Bible says in Galatians 2 that the old life that you lived in, the life that was dead in sin, the life where you've longed for things of the world to, to fill you with spiritual life, the, the, the life marked by sin, wrongdoings, scars, shame, guilt, that life, Galatians 2 says when, when Jesus was killed on the cross, that life was killed with it. That, that old you, that old identity, that old habits that you carried, Galatians says when Jesus was on the cross, so too was that life. He killed it. He removed it. That it no longer defines you. Now Christ's perfect life defines you. It then says that three days after being dead, Jesus walked out of his tomb fully alive. That he no longer was under death. He was now alive. He had defeated death and sin and Satan. And guess what? In that moment, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, so did you. While your old life was on the cross, the new life walked out of that tomb. Which means that no longer does sin uh, entrap you and enslave you. No longer does death define you. No longer do the, the things of your old life mark you now you are alive. Now you have victory over anything because Christ has victory over anything. If you're in Christ, the war is over. You've won. It is all yours. The passage goes on to say here that when Christ raised from the dead, it says he was seated in the heavenly places. Think about this. Right now, Christ is in the heavenly places. Hebrews says that he goes next to the Father and sits down. Now, in some crazy kind of mystical way, when Christ is there, so are you. Like right now, where Christ is, you are so unified with him that your seat next to the Father is sealed forever. Like he will never cast you away. He will never lose you. You will never be separated from him. Why? Because he's never casting Christ away. He's never losing Jesus. He's never being separated from Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then he will never be separated from you. All of this is yours in Christ. And lastly, let me give you one more. In 1 Corinthians 15 and Colossians 3, it says that if you are in Christ, you're now alive, right? That you're living. But, but there's, we know the physical death still comes. But he says that after that, Jesus is coming back for you. And the beautiful thing is he's not just coming back for you and he's going to try to kind of polish you off a little bit. He says when he comes back, you will be glorified with him. Like just imagine, you're going to have a glory-filled body. As Christ is glorified, he says he's going to glorify you as well. You're going to have a new body and a new eternal life. And in that life, there is no more pain. 
The effects of this world are gone. The struggles of this world are gone. The hurt of this world are gone. The deformities and the disabilities of this world are gone. And all things are made new and beautiful and glorious. And the Bible even says you're going to receive this robe and this crown and we will be the kings and the queens of the earth because all that Christ has is ours. Like when Christ rules and reigns forever, we will rule and reign forever with him. Like we have this future because we are in Christ. Providence, if you believe in Jesus, all those things I just said, that's your reality. You're not marked by the sins in the old life that you lived. You're marked by Jesus' life. You're not marked by being under the weight of sin and death. You're now victorious in Christ. You're not marked by just living a few years here and hoping you did a good job. No, you have a whole new life awaiting you, and it is going to be glorious. I think Paul wants us to see that moving from death to life is moving away from separation from God to this union with him in Christ. So this is what it means to be alive. Now, uh, my final point here is I want us to just ask the question, okay, so how do we receive this life? What does it look like? If God moves the dead to life, then what does it look like to be uh, alive with God? So look at the last few verses here. This is how Paul says you can receive it. As simple as this, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, it's nothing more than that. It's as simple as that. It is the grace of God received by faith. You trust in God and all of those truths become your reality. You know, I shared with you a little bit about my, my story kind of leading up to college. When I was in college, um, what happened was I kind of came back to the church a little bit. And so uh, I had been just kind of living far from God, far from the church, kind of living in anything in the world that I could get. Uh, when I got to college, I actually came back and I thought, okay, maybe the church is the answer. And so uh, it was a good step, but I was still a little misguided because what I thought when I walked into the church was uh, I saw a bunch of people that were leading and, and people that were doing things. And I thought, man, I just have to become like one of those people, right? Everyone seemed to like the leaders. They seemed like they had confidence and charisma. And I was like, okay, that's who I need to be like. And so in my mind, I thought if I can just play that part, if I can achieve those roles, then I will finally be satisfied because now I'm in the church and God should be pleased with that. But if you notice, it's It's no different than what I was living in before. I was trying to just cling to something, cling to some sort of approval, some sort of works that I could do that would just kind of satisfy that longing in my soul. And believe it or not, I spent about a year in the church. I was leading. I preached my first sermon. I was doing all these things, and I remember still feeling dead inside. Because what God's doing is not just creating people to do stuff for him, but he's teaching people about Jesus Christ and bringing the dead to life through him. See, it wasn't until I vividly remember one day in my dorm room at UNO, uh, when I was reading, I was actually reading through Hebrews, and I remember reading a part in Hebrews 9 and 10 where it says, if Christ is the sacrifice on the cross, then that means you and I no longer have to sacrifice. 
It's been done. Your sins are forgiven. You don't have to offer any more sacrifices because it is done on the cross. And I've probably heard that message hundreds of times. And for some reason in that moment, my eyes opened. I saw it. I saw grace. I saw that no longer do I have to atone for my sins, but God has done that in Jesus. No longer do I have to work for him, but he now covers me. And this is all because of Jesus. In that moment, I believe that I was saved because of the grace of God through faith. Like it just happened like that. God made me from dead to alive. And so for us this morning, I do want to address, if there's anybody in the room that maybe you feel like that's been your story, whether it's been outside of the church and you've been looking for life and various things, whether it's been, maybe you've been in church for weeks or years and you just feel like all you're trying to do is just cling to more morality, more good works, more things to do, would you hear this morning that it is by grace that you are saved through faith? It's as simple as that. Your faith in Jesus is what saves you. And what's awesome about that is that that may not have just happened for us years ago. That didn't just happen for me seven years ago. But I've heard stories in the last two weeks of this reality still bringing dead people to life. You know, part of this series is that we're wanting us to be a church that's telling the gospel to people. And I've heard two stories in the last couple weeks. One was a, a college student in our ministry, and uh, there was somebody who preached the gospel and told me it's not about works, it's just about faith in Jesus. And he responded in faith. It's awesome. He moved from death to life in that moment. Like, this is amazing. And there's another story. There's a girl in my city group who was talking about how she was um, interacting with another student at Creighton. And they were talking, and she realized that this, this girl had never understood the gospel. And so she preached, hey, look, this isn't about you becoming better, starting to read your Bible. This is about you trusting that Jesus has done everything for you. And the girl said, I want to believe in that. And in that moment, she transferred from death to life. And these are just amazing stories. Yeah, we can give it up because people are being saved solely by grace through faith. And so Providence, I want us to be a people that never get sick of those stories, but just like long for more, right? Jared said, this is why we have this whole board here is because we want more people to experience life that aren't just walking in death to find life in death, but they can actually experience the grace of Jesus Christ all by faith. And so would we be a people throughout this series that is Jared said, where we're just praying, we're looking for opportunities that we can share the gospel with people, not just so that they can convert to our way of thinking, but so that they can actually convert to life, that they can experience life in Jesus. Now let me give um, just one final exhortation to us. Um, I want this to kind of push us towards evangelism, but I also, if you noticed at the very end of this section, I think there's a call for us who are believers in Jesus uh, to live a certain way. Look at verse 10. It says, the, the living, those who have come to life, it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you notice I talked a lot about that word walk last week? Do you notice in this passage, verse 2 says that we were walking in death. Verse 10 says if you're alive, now you walk differently. You walk in the works that Jesus has for you. You walk in this life with God. And so here's my plea for us. If you've accepted the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, can I plead with you, would we quit walking in death? Would we quit going back to the things that used to define us? 
You know, I think it's so easy for us to, we, we kind of believe in Jesus, yet we have these temptations and these addictions and these things that plague us. And so instead of walking in verse 10, where we're walking in Christ, we just kind of drift back into verses 2 and 3. We say, I know that Jesus saved me, but I still want to experience some life in the things of this world. I still want to carry out whatever my heart and my desires are. And I think Paul's plea is to no longer walk in death, but now walk in the new life that you have. You know, following the passions of our flesh and the, the ways of the world, these are not markers of the, of the living. They're simply the addictions of the dead. Right? Like it's, the, it's the markers of death to try and find life over and over and over again in the things that do not satisfy. And so, Providence, if we are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, would we be marked by walking with Him? But from hearing from him, by living with him, like we're talking about this whole fall, that as we think through what God is saying to us, what God's calling us to, that we would give up the things we used to cling to, and that we would just simply cling to Christ. Because all the realities, all the truths of Christ are true in you, and Paul calls us to walk in them. So here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to uh, take communion here in a moment. So the band uh, can come forward. Uh, but I want to uh, encourage us in just a couple ways here. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've trusted this, would you, would you consider, maybe prayerfully think through, what are the things that you f- tend to find yourself running back to? What are the things that you, in the world or, or the things of the flesh that you still try to cling to? And I would just ask, before you come to take communion, would you just confess that to the Lord? Would you just say, look, God, I know that you have saved me, but I know my heart still wants these things. Uh, and here's what I want to ask you to do. When you, when you confess that and you come forward and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice and you take that, I want you to experience the grace of Jesus still on you. Because even if you're saved and you keep walking back to death, that's not you being separated from Christ. Christ is with you. He's in you. You are with the Father. But he does want his grace to empower you to walk differently. So would you confess that, and as you come forward and you experience the grace of Jesus to cover those things, would you commit this week to now walking in newness of life? And maybe for others of you, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, but as you're hearing this message, maybe like me, maybe you've heard it tons of times before, but for some reason God just kind of opened your eyes this morning, would you make a commitment this morning to follow Jesus? Would you trust in him? You know, Jesus says in John 5 that if you believe in him, in that moment, he says you transferred from death to life. You could become alive in him this morning simply by placing your faith in him. And, it, and if that's you, I, I want to ask you, as you commit to that this morning, uh, Jared and I are going to be in the back, and we would, we would love to hear what God's doing. We would love to hear if God's stirring that in you, and we'd love to pray for you and celebrate with you. Because if that's you, that means today you moved from death to life, eternal life, life with God forever. And lastly, if, if you're not a believer, if, that, if you're still not to that point, I would ask that uh, you would just remain seated in this time. That you would come forward for communion, because if you do, that's a sign that says that the grace of Jesus Christ is my only hope. It's all that I have. It's all that I am. And if that's not you, then you can just remain seated. I would ask, me, would you just pray? Would you just ask, I mean, God, if you're real, would you continue to help speak to me? 
Wherever you're at, or wherever of those that you're in, I would love, would we just take a second to, to pray, to think through this, and whenever you're ready, if, you're, if you've trusted in Jesus and you want to experience the grace of Christ, would you uh, come forward to take communion? Otherwise, there's a gluten-free option uh, in the back. So I'm going to pray for us. If you're a communion server, you can head up now, uh, and whenever you feel led and ready, you can come forward or head to the back to take communion. Father, We are thankful that you have done it all to make the dead alive. That life with you is not about uh, cleaning up to get to you, losing our our past from, uh, or by doing better things, but God, it is simply by trusting that you will make us new. God, thank you for creating us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that your death uh, defeated death. Thank you that your spirit gives us power Today, God, would we trust that and believe in that? And God, I too want to pray for the names on this board, maybe the names in the room today that have yet to trust in you. Would they find life in you? Oh, God, would they give up the things of this world that are not soul satisfying? And would they find it in you? Would they live eternal life with you all because of your son? God, now as we come forward, we ask for the strength to to leave the things of this world and to cling to you. And would you help us walk in that? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.